All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on the compassion of Jesus. And I started this last week. This is really just a, 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 a pause from our other teaching, and I'm hoping to get back to it. Uh, I'm not sure when we'll exactly get there, but I felt like I needed to spend a little more time here. And I do apologize. I said last week we were actually gone two weeks from vacation. Uh, we're back here. I apologize for being gone. And then, uh, but at the same point in time, we're back. So we're continuing uh, a, a series that I started three weeks ago called The Compassion of Jesus. And I didn't plan on this being another series, uh, but uh, I just felt like I was supposed to go here three weeks ago. And then I felt like I was supposed to stay here. Uh, so just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website, again, at lighthousediscipleship.org, in the top right-hand corner on the homepage is the word give. It's highlighted in blue. You give there, you can give them anywhere around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center, and you can give them anywhere around the world. Uh, the, uh, excuse me. You, our mailing address is at the bottom of our website on every page, and you can send it that in that way. If you're in the United States, you can, uh, just so you know, all of your tax contributions, all of your contributions, sorry, I'm stumbling on my, all my words this morning, all of your contributions are tax deductible. Again, we are a 501c3 church. So, with that said, all the announcements out of the way, we're, here, we're talking again about the compassion of Jesus. And like I said just a few moments ago, is that I didn't necessarily plan on this being another series. And I was really, really wasn't done with the last series, and we were hoping to get back there. Um, and the Lord willing, we will. But I just felt led to go this direction, and I felt led to spend some more time here. And so, uh, being on vacation and different things, I haven't really had a lot of time to prepare this week. My heart feels prepared because this... This has been burning in my heart for a while. And so, <coughs> excuse me. And so we're going to go with that and just let the Holy Spirit lead this morning, okay? Uh, that's always a good thing. Uh, let him lead, and so we're going to go with that this morning. So we're talking about the compassion of Jesus. And, you know, a lot of times I, uh, I teach on this, especially when I'm talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when I'm talking about how we operate in ministry. Because I look how Jesus operated his ministry. Yes, his main purpose was go to the cross, but he also had a ministry, a three and a year, three and a half year, three and a half year old ministry uh, of, of serving people and having compassion on people. We see something about Jesus because Jesus also says something that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It says in Hebrews chapter one that he's a, a very expression of the Father, and whatever. Jesus did, the Father does. Because Jesus also said, He doesn't do anything He doesn't see the Father do. He doesn't say anything He doesn't hear the Father say. And so Jesus has a relationship with His Father, and He is doing and being who God told Him to, to be and do during those three and a half years. Jesus never derailed from that. Jesus never strayed from that. And so everything that Jesus did and it's 33 and a half years while he was on the earth as the Son of Man. Yes, he was the Son of God, but he laid down his divinity down to become the Son of Man so that he could die on the cross for us. Okay? 
I don't have time to teach on all that this morning. I found out at many, at great length, <coughs> excuse me, I found out at great length in times past, okay? But I want to zero in on the compassion of Jesus. And I really went this way because we were talking a lot about our great salvation and how it relates to prosperity. And one of the reasons I believe God prospers us is not just so we can be rich. I mean, he, he, I believe he does prosper us in the sense that he just wants to, he loves his kids. Which, what parent does not want to see their child prosper, and not just finances, but in every area of their life? Who wants to see their child being poverty? Who wants to see their child struggling all their life? And that, that's not, that, and we paint God with that picture sometimes from a, from a biblical or religious perspective, and that's not the heart of God at all. That's slander, in my opinion. Okay, and so it just—it's slandering his his nature and, and who he is. But obviously, God does not want riches to have our hearts. He doesn't want anything to have our hearts. Okay, he doesn't want any, even our families. He doesn't want our families above him. Okay, we're supposed to love our families, and they're they're they're, they're supposed to be right up there. Okay, at the top. But our relationship with God comes first. You know, a lot of times people said that the first relationship God created was marriage. No, that's the second relationship. The first relationship God created was his own relationship with mankind through Adam. Adam had a relationship with God before Eve even came into the picture. Okay? That doesn't mean male is more important than female. Okay? My point is, Adam represents mankind. And... And so, uh, the human race. And so, uh, God had a relationship with man before he had a relationship, before he instituted marriage. And marriage is a relationship between one man and one woman. Okay? And so, any other thing outside of that is what I call fornication or it's, uh, um, it's doing your own thing. I don't have the words for that this morning. Usually I'm pretty flat, quick on the handle on that one. Okay, but same point in time, if you're confused, it was Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve. Okay, it was, it, it, so it was, anyway, I need to get off that treadmill because that's not where I'm going this morning. Okay, but at the same point in time, uh, sorry, I, I totally derailed from what my point, my point I was trying to get across. As, you know, as we see Jesus, we see his relationship with the Father and we see his relationship with the people that he was ministering to, his relationship with the disciples, his relationships with the with the with the multitudes, his relationships with the seventy, his relationship with the Pharisees, his relationship with sinners. Okay, we see his relationship there. And going back, I just remember what I was talking about. But God, I believe, gives us finances and blessings and prosperity, not just not just finances, but a sound mind is one of those prosper uh, an area of prosperity. Okay? Soundness and wholeness in our lives. Okay? But God gives us those things and those resources to be a blessing. Okay? And, uh, and some, of the, some of the things we're going to see, and we're going to look at some of the things we looked look at three weeks ago, and we're going to look at them again this morning. I'm going to hopefully slow down a little bit here, because I felt like I went through it pretty fast, and I wanted to slow down uh, this week, is that Jesus had compassion to heal people, Jesus had compassion to meet people's needs. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but every once in a while someone comes in my life, someone crosses my path, 
and they have a need, whether that be a physical need, whether that be a relational need, whether that be a financial need. And I want to help meet that need, but in and myself, I can't meet that need. But Jesus was able to meet that need. And in some cases, we're going to look at it, Jesus expected his disciples to meet that need. And in the natural, they didn't have the means to meet that need financially. But that's where we serve the God of miracles. And we have a miraculous God. And when we know who God is, because we have a relationship with God, just like Jesus had a relationship with the Father, then nothing is impossible to them who believes, and nothing is impossible for us to be the church of Jesus Christ and meet the needs of the people just like Jesus did. Yes, and sometimes we can fall back on it and say, well, that was Jesus, that's not us. I disagree. We're called the body of Christ. Jesus is not beheaded from his body. We are the body of Christ. We are a unit. We are crucified with Christ, and it's no longer us who live, but it's Christ who lives inside of us. And if you divorce Jesus from you as a body of Christ, then in my opinion, you just beheaded Jesus. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm not saying that to be cruel. I'm saying that to paint a picture. We are the body of Christ. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is here. Jesus is inside of me. Jesus is inside of you if you are a believer. Jesus is there. He's the same yesterday as he today forever. Jesus can do the same things that he did when he walked on the earth, those 33 and a half years and three and a half years of his ministry, that he can do today in us, his body. I don't know about you, but my head is not doing something different than my body is. Granted, there's times that my mind is elsewhere, you know, and it is wandering, and I get that, and I'm, but that's not what I'm talking about. Okay? Jesus is our head, and we are his body. Okay? And so we're going to look at some things. First of all, we're going to read, look at some things from, about the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. But one day we're going to, then, then we're going to make it personal. And we need to do what Jesus did. And we need to love one another. And we need to have compassion on one another. Okay? And so we're going to be looking at some of that this morning. Okay? So, three weeks ago, I keep saying last week because it feels like last week to me. But I kind of have a sub-message sub, uh, in here too called uh, How We Receive a Miracle. I'm not going to... I went here uh, three weeks ago, the last time we were together. I'm not going to really go here unless I uh, run out of notes this morning. Uh, I'll go back to some of this uh, this week, okay? But I'm really talking about, the, really the title of this message is calling The Compassion of Jesus. Okay, and I'm going to spend some more time with How to Receive a Miracle later on in, uh, in later weeks. We're going to spend a little bit of time here on both of these concepts. Because to me, they, they go hand in hand. <coughs> Excuse me. But we're going to really talk about this morning about The Compassion of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me, first of all, to Matthew chapter 14. That's going to be the first one, and we're going to really just uh, kind of cherry-pick some verses here to talk about the compassion of Jesus. We're going to be looking at the ministry of Jesus and how he had compassion on people that meet their needs. Okay? People are important. 
Okay, and that's what I'm doing, doing with this. And when Matthew 14, 14, and when Jesus went out, he saw the multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. <coughs> excuse me. So, excuse me one second. This is, I uh, believe, the feet of the 5,000, or 4,000. I believe it's the 5,000 here, if I don't have those notes in front of me this morning. But Jesus, when he saw the people, he was moved with compassion, and he healed their sick. We'll see a little bit later how he fed the multitudes, okay? But in this part of the story, in this part of it, he healed their sick. And we have several references on several occasions where Jesus healed all that were sick. Okay? And we've been talking about that in previous weeks and months when we talk about salvation, how it relates to healing. Okay? And so you can go to our archives and, and get those messages. One of the cornerstones of this church, one of the things that we believe, is that God heals and God wants to heal everybody, everywhere, every time. It's in the atonement. Okay? And so, uh, I'm not going to go there this morning, but Jesus was moved compassion to heal the sick. And so, you might be saying, I can't heal the sick. I disagree. If you are in Jesus and Christ is in you, Jesus commissioned the twelve, you heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely to receive, free to give. He said that in Matthew chapter 10. He also sent out the 70 to go heal the sick, raise the dead. And cast out devils. And I believe if you connect Matthew 28 with, with uh, Mark 16 and Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1, Jesus commissioned the church to go heal the sick, to raise the dead, and cast out devils, among many other things. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul echoes this in Corinthians that we're supposed to preach the word with, in word and in power. Okay? When we have, Jesus is in us. And it's not us. We're not the healer, but the healer is inside of us. It says in John chapter 1, of his fullness we have received and grace for grace. It says in Ephesians chapter 3, that, <coughs> excuse me, it says in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's praying and he says, when we know the love of God, love of God that surpasses knowledge, intellectual knowledge, we will be filled with the very fullness of God. If we have the fullness of God, why do we think that we can't heal people? What part of the fullness of God, Jehovah Rapha, doesn't heal? You can't have the fullness of God and not have one element of God in you. If you have the fullness, you have Everything God is. You're not God. You're not Jesus. But he is not just out there in the cosmos. He's on the inside of you. And Jesus said it's to my Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. <coughs> we have the keys of the kingdom. The, Jesus, when he commissioned the twelve and the seventy, he said, go preach. Especially, you'll read this a lot in Matthew. Go preach that the kingdom of God is here. 
The kingdom of darkness has been reigning since Adam. I'm right now quoting from in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. Because of Adam, sin and death reigned. But because of Jesus, we have the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness to reign in this life. We're destined to reign. Why? Because of his amazing grace and his gift of righteousness, we are destined to reign. And we can have compassion just like Jesus did to heal the sick. Whatever Jesus was doing in this context, it really doesn't matter. Because when he went out, wherever he came out of, I believe it was the synagogue, he saw the multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed the sick. You know, we, we think Jesus was omnipresent. As the Son of God, he is. But as the Son of Man, while he walked the earth, he was not omnipresent. He did get a lot of word of knowledge. He did know a lot of things. He did know the intents of their hearts many times. But he also didn't do anything he didn't see the Father do. So whatever prayer time he had with his Father that morning, he already saw himself doing this. Anyway, that's just really a minor point. My point is, Jesus was not just so focused on the cross. And, that was, and he knew that time hadn't come yet. His purpose was to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father, in this instance, was to heal the sick. How did he know that? Because he had compassion for the sick. How do you know God wants to use you to heal the sick? Because you have compassion on them. How do you know it's God's will for you to meet someone's need? Because you have compassion on them. What does that compassion come from? Not you. God is love. You're not God. I want to say that again. God is compassion. God is love. And you're not God. That compassion is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of the flesh. That's not your flesh talking. That's not the devil talking. The devil's not, the devil's not inspiring you to heal the sick and have compassion on people. Your flesh is selfish. Your flesh is not wanting to have compassion on people. You want to go home and watch football or, 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 or whatever the thing may be, the E, you know. Most of us are rushing out of church so we can go to have our meal, or whatever is on our agenda that day. Okay? But Jesus was moved with compassion. Let's go to the next one. Mark chapter 8, verse 2. Jesus said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me for three days, and I have nothing to eat. I mean, these are faithful, loyal followers. Three days. <coughs> they were following for three days, and they have nothing to eat. And Jesus had compassion on them. Jesus didn't have the food. And if you read it on, the disciples didn't have the food either. But the compassion of Jesus was not going to stop Jesus from meeting the needs of that multitude. We'll read in another account in a few minutes that the disciples said, let's send them away so they can find something to eat. And Jesus says, no, don't send them away. You feed them. With what food? That's what the disciples' response was. But Jesus was not limited by what they didn't, what they thought they had or didn't have. 
Folks, this is why I'm teaching this in connection with what I just taught about uh, such a great salvation. Most of us do not realize what we have in Christ Jesus. And we are limiting God. And we are limiting how God wants to use us. We might have the same compassion Jesus did. But we're thinking we can't help them because of the government. Because of COVID. <coughs> because we don't have enough to eat. But, I, you know, I get a lot of people on Facebook. Sometimes when I teach, people will put a post on my Facebook post basically begging me for money. Okay? Do I have compassion to meet their need? Yes. But that's not the place in time. In the middle of my message, you're going to be soliciting people for money. That's rude. That's out of line. That's wrong. Okay? There's a time and place for that. For that. But my heart is not to meet all of your needs individually. My heart is to t turn you to the Father. That you can do what Jesus did to meet one another's needs. Hopefully I make sense of that. Oh God, that didn't come across wrong. But Jesus had compassion to multitude. In Mark 18, 27, And then the master of the servant was moved with compassion. Jesus was given a parable. He said the master of the servant was moved with compassion. They released him and forgive him the debt. We're going to get, come back here. We're going to be looking at this in Matthew 18 if we have time this morning. But we need to have compassion to release one another's debts. We need to forgive people. And I'm going to come back to that. So I'm going to save my comments for that in just a few moments. So Matthew chapter 20. And so Jesus stood and called to them and said, what do you want me to do? He's talking to two blind men. He said, they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight. And they followed him. Excuse my typo there at the bottom. Okay. And so he asked them what they want. They wanted to see. And Jesus had compassion, touched their eyes, and they saw. You know, if you have compassion on someone, because God put it there, <coughs> that's one of the points of this message, is that when you have compassion on somebody, for to meet a need, financial, physical, relational, whatever it is, I want you to recognize that compassion as God leading you to meet a need. And many times, that compassion or that need requires a miracle. Or a healing, or something what we call supernatural. Because it's not something you can do in the natural. It's something that God can do through the supernatural. And sometimes, like healing, is something that God has already done supernaturally through the finished work of the cross. They might not know that, but if you've been following my teaching for any, any amount of time, you know that. That through the cross, by His stripes, we were healed. And you can minister that and, and, and help someone receive their eyesight. Help someone uh, overcome COVID or any other type of illness or sickness or disease. Our heart condition. Okay? And so I want you to recognize that. 
That's how Jesus did. He had compassion on them. And he immediately touched their eyes. And they could see. In Luke chapter 7. And now it happened the day after that he went into the city called Nain. And many of the disciples went with him and a large crowd. Verse 12. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. And the only son of his mother, she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came and touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And so he who was dead sat up and began to speak. He presented him to his mother. Jesus had compassion on that dead man. He was seeing a funeral procession taking place. Not only was this a big deal for the mother, but the whole town was involved in the crowd following. Jesus shows up, and they have a resurrection service. Right there in the middle of town. He had compassion. He had compassion over a widow. Who had just lost her son. He didn't just show her sympathy. He didn't just show her empathy. He did something about it. I mean that caused no small stir in that town I'm sure. Jesus came. and hit. If you want a revival in your church. You want a revival in your community. In your tribe. You want a revival in your family. You want a revival. You want something to be talked about for years to come start raising the dead start healing the sick based on the compassion of Jesus that's on your heart because this is God and this is how church this is normal church this should be normal church because when Jesus sent out the 12 and Jesus sent out the 70 and that was before the church was born this is how they did service this was a normal activity and when Jesus was there Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus now? He's here, and Jesus died so that the Holy Spirit could come in, so He could come inside of us. Yes, the purpose of Jesus coming was to die on the cross, but He died on the cross so that God could reconcile Himself to mankind, and Jesus could live inside of us. Without the cross, Jesus was still limited where He could be as the Son of Man, but now that He died and rose again. Jesus is living on the inside of us. And we can be having resurrection services for all of the world. <coughs> because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Matthew 9, 35, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel throughout the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And by when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, for them because they were <coughs> excuse me, weary, scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Jesus is praying for you and me right there. He saw a people that were sheep without a shepherd. And I know that was in that immediate situation, in the context of that, of that situation. But then he said, the harvest is truly plentiful. If the harvest was plentiful then, the harvest is really right now. Okay? 
He said, but the labors are few. Therefore, <coughs> excuse me, pray for the Lord and harvest us in our labors. Jesus wants to send you and me out to a world that needs Jesus. To a world that needs to hear the gospel and see the gospel demonstrated. The, Jesus is the living word. He's the living God. The word of God is not the ink. The word of God is a person. His name is Jesus. And Jesus, Paul says that we are living epistles. Okay? Mark chapter 1, verse 41 says, Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. And said to him, I am willing be cleansed. He's talking to a leper. He's talking to someone who, who, who's been an outcast because he's a leper. And not only did Jesus minister to him, but he touched him. This guy has been touched in a long time. He hasn't had a hug. He hasn't had any type of human touch in a while. And Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. We get a lot of people who come to us and say, well, if it's God's will, he'll heal. And again, I spent a lot of time on this in weeks past, but by his stripes, we were healed. Sickness is a curse. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 28, the first 14 verses talk about the blessings of God. The last 53 or something verses talk about the curses of God. And sickness is a curse. And it says in Galatians 3.13 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Where does sickness even come from? Sickness is a result of the fall. Sickness is a result of the curse. Death, is a death was, was a result of the fall. Sickness is a process of dying. Okay? God didn't create sickness. God didn't create diseases. But it says in Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all of his benefits. Who, for <coughs> excuse me, who forgives all of our iniquities and heals all of our diseases. The word all in both the Hebrew and the Greek, you know what it means? It means all. One of our benefits, among many other benefits, is that he heals all of our diseases. Okay? And Jesus had compassion on the leper. He was moved. I mean, this is not just a compassion. This is being moved with compassion. You know what this whole connotation being moved is? And I don't want to be gross, but have you ever had a bowel movement? And I don't care what was going on, where you were, but you needed a toilet and you needed it now. And you were moved with compassion to find that toilet. Because Houston, we're going to have a big problem if that, if we don't, that doesn't take place. Be moved with compassion. You, you can't rest until this is done. Because that's the Holy Spirit, folks. That's the Spirit of God. That's Jesus moving. That's God moving. God wants to use you. His very own body. <coughs> that he bought and purchased with his blood. He wants to use you that he redeemed as his body to be the hands and the feet to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to, 
to be relational with those who are alone and outcast and to provide financially some way, somehow, a need that someone may have. Church, we are the body of Christ. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Mark 6.34, in Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude and went through with compassion. There's that phrase again. Because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd, so he began to teach them many things. Jesus didn't just heal. Jesus didn't just provide. Jesus didn't just touch. Jesus also taught. And there's a lot of people, I love them, but they are not discipled in the Word of God. And that's not a put down. That just, we need to be, a, that's one of my, my compassion, my passions is, I want to see people established in the Word of God. I want to see people established in who they are in Christ. I don't want them to be established in me. I don't want them to be established in another minister. And I'm not saying another minister or me are bad people. I want them to be established in Jesus for themselves. Because I may not always be there. Okay? And so... Anyway, let's move on. Uh, let's keep reading. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Okay, this is a continuation that I talked about earlier. But he, Jesus answered and said, You give them something to eat. Let's back up. Jesus had compassion, so he began to teach them the word of God. Okay? And then, and, that, and other references, he prayed, He told the disciples to pray for laborers because the harvest is... It, it, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And after the day, and we also know that these people have been following him for three days, based on other scriptures. The disciples also had compassion, if you read other translations, and other uh, accounts of this. And they said, this is a deserted place. They don't, let's go send, send them away so they can go get something to eat. That just, that just sounds, from, from a natural point of view, that sounds very noble. Hey, they've been here a long day. It's been a good day. It's been a good journey. But let's have compassion to people. Let's send them away so they can get something to eat for themselves. We can't feed them. We can't, we, 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 we can't help them. And Jesus is like, no. You give them something to eat. You do it. And I, I can just imagine disciples, they're like, how? <coughs> but Jesus is like, no, let's serve the people. And I, I thought I had it on here. But the whole feeding the multitudes, Jesus ended up feeding them. Jesus ended up multiplying the, the, the loaves and the fishes that the boy had. But Jesus told them to do it. Jesus ended up doing it because of their lack of faith. But Jesus told them to do it. And I'm trying to echo those same words. I'm not Jesus, but do you have a need in your community? Do you have a need in your orphanage? Do you have a need where God's planted you to feed the multitudes? You give them something to eat. You do it. Stop limiting God. Stop focusing on what you have in the natural. 
And knowing that the same God who multiplied the loaves and the fish 2,000 years ago can multiply the loaves and the fish or whatever you have in your cupboard to meet the needs of the people. God is God. And he's the same God that we have always served. If, G if God could feed the, the nation of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years, do you think that the same God would treat you any less? Okay? If, if maybe you don't have any food, do you have some rocks? Because God brought water out of a rock. God brought quail and manna and different things. Do you think God can't do the same for you? Okay. He, he used the widow's oil and multiplied it to pay off her debts. I mean, I can go on and on and on. God sent the ravens to feed Elijah. And James says Elijah was a man just like us. Okay? And so, let's go on. Matthew 10. This is Jesus commissioning the 12 and 70. There are two different accounts, but he said the same thing to both. Okay? You'll find one of them in Matthew chapter 10, the other one you'll find in Luke chapter 10. It says, he said, commissioned them, he said, <coughs> excuse me, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you receive, freely give. Folks, we have such a great salvation. We have Jesus, and we've been giving him freely. Now give him away. Give what you have. If you have Jesus, you have everything. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. Okay? But we have Jesus. In Matthew chapter 18, 20... Actually, I'm, I'm going to switch gears here. Excuse me. Hope we just been good so far. This is actually a repeat from th three weeks ago. I went a lot slower. Um, still have about 30 minutes left in my teaching this morning. But here, here, from here on, the rest of this, my 30 minutes I have left with you, I want to switch gears a little bit, which I've already been incorporating into everything I've been saying. It's not just looking at what Jesus did, but what we can do. And I want to look at a, a scripture here in Matthew chapter 18. And there's different areas where we, I believe, we can have compassion on people. I've been dealing with everything Jesus did, we can do. But the first one I want to deal with is having compassion on people to begin. Okay? And to and what and whatnot. So this is the first thing I'm going to do. I don't necessarily have a list of things I'm going to cover here. But this is one thing I want to deal, deal with. Okay? And just let me read it. The scriptures here, and then uh, let the Holy Spirit lead us from here. Well, we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Jesus just told them that they have the keys of the kingdom, whatever they bind and bound, whatever they loose, they loose. And he says, so Peter came to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Peter thought he was being very generous. Seven times? How many times? How many chances do I give my brother? Do I give him a second chance? Do I give him a third chance? How many times do I forgive him? Before enough is enough. Okay? And Jesus responds, I do not say to you up to seven times, but to 70 times seven. That's 490 times. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. And so he goes into the par a parable talking about the unmerciful servant. And therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to, to settle accounts with his servants. And, and when he had begun to settle accounts, one who was brought to him, who owed him 10,000 talents, but he was not able to pay his master. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment, and that payment was made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. We already read that portion, and I'm going to come back to that in a few moments. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. The other one was 10,000. But this one was just a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat and said, Pay me for what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. The same thing he just did to his master. And he went not, but he went and threw him into the prison. So he should pay the debt. And so when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were grieved and gave, came and told their master all that he had been, been done. And then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion? On your fellow servant, just as I have pity on you. And his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was, was due to him. And so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Okay, I want to go back to this verse 33 where he's scolding the the path the, the the servant who had been forgiven much, and he says, "Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity and forgiveness and mercy towards you?" This whole parable came after G Peter had asked Jesus a simple question: How many times do I forgive my brother? Seven times a day? And Jesus said, "No, seven times seven. That's 400, 490 times in a day. I think it's very impossible for someone to sin against you 490 times in one day. And if you are so consumed to keep track of that, nope, this guy sinned against me 491 times, I don't have to forgive him anymore. If you are so focused on that that you're actually keeping tally, something's wrong. Okay. The point Jesus is making, there should be no limit to our forgiveness. See, a lot of times when we are offended, we feel justified, our flesh does, feels justified keeping a grudge against somebody. Okay? And until that offense is paid, we don't feel free to forgive that person. I, I think a lot of us have been there. If we're honest, 
We have all struggled with this from time to time, depending on the nature of the offense. And some offenses, I understand, they are very severe. And they are very painful. But we have, the moral of the story is that we have to remember how much God in Christ has forgiven us. God dealt with every offense, your offense, that was a hundred times worse than the people who have sinned against you. When you're like, but what I've never done what they've done. Sin, sin. The book of James said, it says if you break one law, you're breaking the whole thing. See, sin is like a, a, a window. It doesn't matter how small or big that rock is. If the window's broken, it's broken. Okay? And so, see, God has forgiven everything you've ever done on the cross. But for you to turn around and demand others earn their forgiveness when you did never earn your forgiveness is not Christ-like. It's selfish. We should extend forgiveness like Christ extended forgiveness to us. Not because we've earned it, but because of mercy. See, you can't earn mercy. <coughs> If you earn mercy, it's not mercy. Because mercy can't be earned. Just like grace can't be earned. Anyway, I'm just reading my notes here. Excuse me. But one of the points I'm trying to make here is that no matter what we've done, His forgiveness is greater. And if we are not Willing to have, let me go back here, have compassion on our fellow man to forgive them. Then you don't know how much God has forgiven you. Okay, let me stop pointing the finger at you. Let me point the finger at me. If I am not willing to forgive you for anything you may have done towards me, And I am demanding something more of you than God ever demanded from me. And Jesus calls that wicked. I don't know if you hear the tone in, in Jesus' voice, but he said, So my heavenly Father also will not do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother. His trespasses. Jesus took unforgiveness very seriously. How do we forgive someone? Because we have compassion. Where do we get that compassion? Because God has been merciful to us. It says in 1 John that we love because he first loved us. He said, this is love. Not that you love me, but that I loved you. And became a propitiation for your sins. If we don't have compassion to forgive people, then we have not understand God's compassion to forgive us. Or 
We are elevated. We think we're better, we're bigger than God. See, God forgave you when you didn't earn it, and your trespasses were worse. Your trespasses were sending you to hell. You didn't earn his mercy. You didn't earn his grace. He gave it to you as a free gift because he had compassion on you. He paid a debt you could never have paid him back. And if some trespasses people have done against you, in one sense of the word, there's no way they can pay you back, depending on what the nature of the offense is. But even their offense is nothing in comparison to how much God has forgiven you, no matter what it is. No matter how you can reason that in your mind. And if you are having a hard time showing compassion on others, then where you need to go back to understanding how much compassion Jesus has for you. Do you know you can actually change a life by simply forgiving somebody? You know, there have been times in my life where I just messed up big time. I hurt somebody. I did something wrong. I apologize. And when they said those words, I forgive you. Do you know how much healing that brought into my heart? Do you know how that just healed my heart? By saying, I forgive you. Not everybody's done that. And sometimes I had a hard time forgiving myself. And the, the way, how I got over it, whether they forgave me or didn't forgive me, was knowing how much he had compassion for me. But it took me a little longer to go there because I had to, I just had to go back and be reminded of how much he loved me. But when they said those words, I forgive you, it brought almost immediate healing. I still felt bad about what I did. But that healing came a lot quicker. And that was, I mean, I, I felt it almost right away. If you've forgiven somebody, and I'm just giving, I'm just encouraging you, as a pastor, as a teacher, communicate that forgiveness. Because there's some people, they have never forgiven themselves for what they've done to you. And you, you can say, but pastor, they've never earned it. They never apologized. It doesn't matter. Jesus many times said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen did that. In the, in the eyes of Paul, Saul, who became Paul. It's not a matter if they didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. If you want to play fair, then we all go to hell because that's fair. But that's not the mercy and justice of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. That's not the gospel. Stop magnifying your pain, your offense over Jesus Christ. 
I'm not making little of what they've done to you. Some people have done some very horrible, violating things. And I get that. But you need to be free. Some people, they're already free. They've forgotten what they've done to you. But you're not free. Okay? You're not, it's not a, but if, if, if they have no remorse what they've done, that's between them and God, not you and, you and them. You're not God. You and I don't make a lousy God. Okay? We forgive them. But there's some people, and this is where I'm going at right now, there's some people, they feel horrible about what they've done. But for you to not release them, It's, to me, it's just cruel. And I, I, go that, I go with that because Jesus was very harsh with his response to this unmerciful servant. Okay? Let me move on, but let me pick you back on this. In Ephesians 4. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ also has forgiven you. If you read the whole passage, I should have written more here. Paul says, we can grieve the Holy Spirit by how we treat one another. But we are commanded, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. This blesses the Holy Spirit. This is how the body of Christ, the church, the family of God, is supposed to operate. This is compassion. This is being kind, just as Jesus forgave us. In Colossians, it says, Put on men as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassion. Put on compassion. Compassion is something you put on. It's not automatic. Okay? Put on kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience. And some of us need a lot of that. Patience. Okay? Patience seems to sting on both sides of the fence. It's just something that, you know, we don't usually like. But we need to put on compassion. That's a mindset. That's a choice. That's, you have a choice to do this or not do this. Galatians, carry one another's burdens. And in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. You know, there's over a hundred scriptures in the New Testament of how we are to love one another. That word love is compassion. <coughs> We're to bear one another's burdens. And 1 Peter, finally, of all of you, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. I, don't, I, I should have wrote down what translation I wrote that from. In 1 Peter 4.10, each of you, each of you, including me, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Excuse me, as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. There's a lot I can stand on here. 
Because again, if I get tired, I'm running out of time. We're going to talk about serving one another. Okay. And in Luke 6.36, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. There's a lot more scripture I could have gone with. I was going to actually go here first, but I went here second. Um, you know, I don't, but I don't have the scriptures on the, on, on the PowerPoint. In John chapter 13, Jesus, after the Last Supper, he washed his disciples' feet. And this is right before he's going to go to the cross. You know, when I think of Jesus just before he went to the cross, I'm thinking of that football coach having a huddle in the locker room before they go out to the big game. I'm thinking a, of a, a parent having last words with their children before they pass away. Or before the father or parent might be before their wedding day or some major event, a graduation or whatever it might be, and having that little huddle with, with their loved one. There are some very important words are being said here. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. They still haven't caught on to that yet. They will. These were, they were, he was talking to 12 men, 11 because Judas was going to betray him, who were going to become the apostles of the church. And Jesus says, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples. Not because of your great messages. Not because of your large churches. Not because of this or that, but because you love one another. And in the same context, but a different location in the Garden of Gethsemane, in John, John, John 17, four, verses, four chapters later, but it's before the cross, Jesus is praying. And in the midst of that prayer, he prays, Father, may they be one as you and I are one, so that the world will know that you sent me. In John 13, he, he, he commissioned his disciples and said, you wash one another's feet. And this is how the world will know that you love, that, that, that you're my disciples because you love one another. In John 17, he's praying. And he says, Father, I pray that they would be one, just as you and I are one, so that the world will know that you sent me. Our number one evangelism to the world is how we love one another. The number one thing you can do to destroy your ministry. And it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, that we are all able ministers of the new covenant. Not just me. My job as a pastor is to equip you to minister to one another. That's my job. Okay? See, I don't feel... You know what drives me as a pastor? It's not all the accolades I get on Facebook, and I appreciate those, and, 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 and they're right, and you're doing right, and you're doing good by doing that. <coughs> Excuse me. What blesses me is that when you hear the Word of God, and it changes your life, and you go do likewise. My job is not so, so people put money in the tithe or, or, or make me feel good. 
her recognize. That's all appreciative and that's all polite and that's all kind and that's all good. What, what lights my fire is whether I teach it or someone else teaches it, but you are living this word and it's transforming your life and you are using this word to change other lives. That's what lights my fire. And one of those dangers, I talk about healing the sick, I talk about raising the dead, I talk about ministering to people financially and whatever, but being merciful to one another is one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. When someone has done you wrong and you wash their feet because you are forgiven, One of the most powerful things I've ever seen in the church is when the church loves one another, forgives one another, bears with one another, comes alongside one another. That's powerful. I don't care how great you worship. I don't care how loud you say amen. I don't care how loud. But if you don't forgive one another, if you don't love one another, according to 1 Corinthians 13, you are nothing. Because no matter how many prophecies you have, no matter what you do, no matter if you sell your goods to, 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 to feed the poor, but if you have not love according to the word of God, you are nothing, you are doing nothing, you are accomplishing nothing. But love never fails. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Why? Because that's the compassion of God. That's who God is. And we're ambassadors for God. If you are an ambassador for God and you are doing something different than God does, in my mind, that's a traitor. Because <laughs> if that was in the, if you were an ambassador for your nation and you did something opposite that your nation hired you to be an ambassador for, in my mind, that would be a traitor. Or maybe I'm not using the right term there. But that's not going to go so well. There's betrayal there. There's slander there. There's, but ambassador, we need to, we're, rep, we're living epistles of God. And we need, yes, we need to heal the sick, raise the dead, preach the gospel. But we need to love one another, folks. That's who we are. We're not cowards. We're not like the world. We're different. We forgive one another. We show mercy to one another. You know, the foundation of any house is important, or any building. But it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, that we're all able ministers of the new covenant. Do you know what a minister is? According to the Greek, a minister is a servant. Okay? And the foundation for ministry is not the ministry, it's to serve. And the ministry can be a very fierce environment. If you're a pastor or something, you know this, because there's going to be many storms, there's going to be many pressures as a pastor or minister. There's going to be many temptations, there's going to be many struggles, and there's going to be many battles. 
Why? Because you're dealing with people who have problems. And you're one of them. People have problems. You have problems. I have problems. And in the ministry where we're serving one another, we're serving a bunch of people with problems. Okay? But we can't do it in our ability. We have to do it with his ability to serve and love one another. And it's very easy to get offended when you're dealing with people with problems. Okay? But as a minister, a pastor, or just an able minister, of the, and I don't mean the water now by saying just a, we're the body. We're all important. I'm not more important than you. You're not more important than me. But it's not our job to build an army. It's not our job to build a ministry, an organization. It's not our job to even build the church. It's our job to build people. People make the church. People make the ministry. People make the army. Our job as a minister is to build people and to build them up. It says in, yeah, there it is, right there, on the screen. I forgot I had a slide for that. It's our job to build people. And God says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. We're here in this church to build people. We're not here to make a name for Lighthouse Establishment Center. We're not here to make a name for Dave Everett. We're not here to make a name for anybody else. We're here to build people through the Word of God. A lot of pastors and ministers out there, I love them, but they expect people to serve them and their dream and their mission and their purpose. But we're called to minister to people. Okay? That's what we're called to do. My next slide. Okay? And I'll be honest, there's times where I've gotten derailed from that in the, in the sense. And this is usually my weakness. You know, Sherry and I, through the years, we've gotten to minister to different pastors from time to time. And a lot of pastors have the same pain I have in the sense that they're lonely. They're giving out, they're giving, 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 and not receiving very much. I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about just companionship. They feel lonely, and they're hurting. I've met a lot of pastors through the years who are like me, and feel very, very lonely. And my heart is to give, my heart is to help people, but every once in a while, I just have this desire for companionship. I have a great wife. I have uh, a great support system as far as that's concerned. But I don't get a lot of people who just want to sit and chat with me. And sometimes I bleed because I want it so bad. And then when I don't get it, I get hurt. And the proverb says, help deferred makes the heart sick. But when desire comes, it's like a tree of life. And I don't want to derail on this too much here, but sometimes when we, even pastors and ministers, we sometimes have a desire or hope. And when it's deferred, our heart can get sick. 
And we, when we have ministers are trying to minister to others, but all of a sudden we, we switch gears and we want people to minister to us, and it, it's deferred, it makes our hearts sick. But when the desire comes, it's like a tree of life. There's one thing that blesses me, just me personally, and that is just a friend who will sit and chat and talk. That, that's like a tree of life for me. Because it's the answer I'm looking for, for me. It's just something I want. My, my wife will ask me almost every birthday, what do you want? I just want friends to come over and chat. That's all I want. The gifts are nice and this and that. Those are nice. They, and I'm not saying they won't bless me. But I could care less about that compared to just a friend to talk. And when it's deferred, my heart gets sick. And when I receive it, it's like a true life to me. That's just that's as simple as complicated as that. My point is, I'm not trying to focus on me. I'm not, I'm not necessarily expecting all of you to come over right now, okay? That's not what I'm getting at. I'm getting at, as pastors, as ministers, sometimes we can get so self-focused. And lack of other terms, self-centered. That we get hurt. When we are not called to be ministered to. Even though we all need ministry, we're called to serve. And sometimes as ministers, we can become just as crippled as the people we're trying to minister to because we got off focus. People are not serving our dream and our mission and our purpose. But the cornerstone of ministry is servanthood. Am I making, I'm hoping I'm making sense with this because I'm trying to protect your heart. Okay? That doesn't mean you don't need to be ministered to, too. You do, if you're a minister. But it says in Mark 10, 44-45, And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all, or servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. See, in my opinion, if you are a believer, you've been called to the ministry. You might not be called to be a pastor because... Paul says some are called pastors. Some have been called teachers. Some are apostles, prophets, and whatever. Some are called to fivefold ministry. But we're all ministers. And we are called to the ministry because we are all called to serve. I'm tying this into the compassion of Jesus, if you bear with me. And I'm trying to wrap this up. See, anything less than serving as a minister, as a body of Christ, to me is self-centeredness. Because you are trying to be served rather than to serve. Can I say also something else here? We are only get God's grace to fulfill His opinion of what ministry is. We all might have an opinion what ministry is, but we only get his grace to operate in what he calls true ministry. And the verse I'm going to use for this is Hebrews 12, 15. Looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You know, when we are 
operating outside the grace of God, a root of bitterness can spring up in our hearts. And it can defile many. Some of us as ministers from time to time can get bitter because we're always giving out, but we're not receiving. But my point is, let's remember why we're called to. We're not called to be served, we're called to serve. And God will give us the grace to do that. And I believe God will also bring someone alongside, like a Jonathan, to befriend you, to come alongside and wash your feet too. You know, a few years ago, Sherry and I went to Colorado. We went there on a vacation. We went to the college where we went to the Bible school. And one evening we went to a home group and we're having a Bible study. And the hosts decided, you know what, we want to do something different for our guests, Dave and Sherry. And they had their normal routine. They had a meal together and they, they fellowshiped with one another and they, uh, the word was taught. More fellowship than anything else, but they decided to bless Sherry and I by washing our feet and ministering to us. And that just ministered to us. We didn't plan that. We This was really an impromptu decision to go. And here they, we were just a guest in their home and a guest in their, church, their home church. And they just blessed us by washing our feet. And that just ministered to us. And so, you know, why not going off on this? Probably several reasons. But when I'm thinking about the compassion of Jesus, Jesus told us to wash one another's feet. This is how the world will know that you're my disciples and how you love one another. And as ministers, I want to talk both to the ministers and I want to also talk to the people. As ministers, because I see we're all able ministers of the, of the New Covenant. But even as ministers of some of you watching, you are pastors or bishops or prophets or evangelists or whatnot. May we never forget what we're called to, and that is to serve. And if we've lost that compassion to serve, then we need to spend some time with Jesus. Because Jesus didn't some. Jesus didn't do anything he didn't see the Father do. He didn't, he didn't say anything he didn't hear the Father say. And I believe a lot of that compassion that Jesus had came from spending time with the Father. And if you've been so busy with ministry that you forgot how to minister, which is serve, then you need to get back into your Father's lap and you need to receive his love and ministry yourself. I've been there. I've been there actually recently myself where I just need to give back into my father's presence and realize that God did not call me to the ministry. God called me to minister. I mean, hopefully that makes sense. There's a difference between ministry, the ministry, as far as your church or organization or whatever, 
and ministry. And sometimes, sometimes we get so focused on the ministry he's called us to, we really forgot our whole calling, and that is to minister, and that is to serve. But to the people, I also want to say, you know, pastors who are serving you, bishops, evangelists, people who are serving you, I encourage you to flip back and begin to minister to them. Because they need ministry too. And that's going to help them operate in their calling a lot better and a lot quicker. Because there's some pastors out there, they are crying out, but they don't know how to cry out. Because they're so alone and they're hurting with someone to wash their feet, with someone to minister and serve them. They don't want to be selfish by saying that, but they need it. I can tell you how many pastors we have cried in our presence because they didn't know how to express that. They didn't even know they were hurting until the subject came up. And we began to minister to them. I want to end on one more note. I'm over time, but I'm going to make this quick. I believe in growth and success as ministers, as a ministry, as in life, and as a church at large. But I believe growth and success should be the result of, the byproduct of, helping people. You don't establish a ministry to help people. No, the pe helping the people is the ministry. And the growth and the success is the result of helping people. Not the goal. And it's a, hopefully I said that right. We don't become successful first. We help people first. And the growth and success of that enables us to help more people. See, Jesus was never concerned about how many people followed him. I don't think he ever really counted. But there was easy a multitude. He was simply concerned with meeting the needs of the people. I shared a lot of references this morning and three weeks ago about how Jesus had compassion on the people. He wasn't counting how many people were following him. He just did it. He just ministered. And success followed. See, success is a good thing. But to me, success is, first of all, I have a slide for this. Successful ministry is, first of all, being in the center of God's will. Not doing your own thing, but doing what he's called you to do. Success to me is effectively ministering to people. If you have a big ministry and a lot of followers, but you are not ministering to people, to me, that's not success. I don't want a church ministry because we have a lot of people following us. I want to, 
ministry because we are actually effectively ministering to people. Okay? Successful ministry to me is bringing people into a meaningful relationship with God. It's not bringing them to me and seeing how big this church is. My goal, my heart, is bringing them into a meaningful relationship with God. Otherwise, there's no success. Okay? Successful ministry to me is equipping people to serve God and fulfill their dreams and destinies. In other words, I can rephrase this. Successful ministry to me is equipping people to edify one another. <coughs> because that's certain. When we serve one another, we're serving God. Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. My job as a pastor is to equip you for the work of the ministry, to edify the body of Christ, to edify one another. My job is to equip you to edify one another. It's not to make a name for myself. My job is to equip you to edify one another. To serve God and fulfill your dreams and destinies. Okay? The body of Christ. Why are we here? And this is not an exhaustive list, but we're here, we're here to reach people out of a passion born out of the love of God. I'm not trying to count how many people are coming, how many people we reach, but I'm trying to reach people, as many people as we can, yes. But that is that passion, that compassion is born out of a love of God. It's not something I'm just trying to hype up. It, it, it just comes out naturally. It's born out of a love of God. Out of the love of God. The body of Christ, we're concerned and we value people. We value one another. We're concerned with one another. We bear with one another's burdens. That's who we are. That's the compassion of God. We're the body of Christ. And Christ has compassion for his body. At the body of Christ, we exist to reach people. It's not about establishing a name. There might be a, I don't have a problem with the church having a name. I don't have a problem with the church having building and assets to reach, to reach people. Okay? It's not about the building, but the building might be necessary to reach people. It's not about the money, but the money might be necessary to reach people. It's about reaching people. Okay? The body of Christ is committed to serve people in so many different ways. Not just spiritual ways, but also practical ways. James talks a lot about this. How we are how we are to serve and love one another in very practical ways. Otherwise our faith is dead. According to James. I don't have time to teach all that right now. Okay? The body of Christ is the growth is a result. The growth is a result of reaching and ministering to people. If we're growing just to pass the pew and make a name for ourselves, we missed our calling. We're here to minister to people. And the growth is a result. Okay? Never allow your
yourself to grow outside your ability to help people. Grow by helping people. And where does that compassion come from? It comes from and born out of the love of God, His mercy towards you, His love towards you. We do not have the right, I don't believe, to grow beyond our commitment to people. I don't think we have a right to grow outside our means, to grow our, 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 our ability and willingness to commit ourselves to people. The foundation of ministry for me is a commitment to serve people in the gospel and real ministry brings joy and it brings peace. I hope this is ministered to you and this is pretty much all I have for this morning as we're talking about the compassion of Jesus. And I'm not sure exactly when God's going to lead me next week when we're going to continue on this. I believe that's the direction I'm going. Um, or I'll be talking more about how to receive a miracle. But I want to operate as a pastor. And I want you to operate as a people. In the compassion of Jesus. That includes the supernatural. But that also includes just practically loving people. Forgiving people. Showing mercy and compassion and serving people in very practical ways. If you're so spiritually minded that you don't have time to serve people in practical ways, I question what you believe. I don't mean say that to be mean. But we're about people. Jesus was never too busy to help. And most of those things required a miracle. But he didn't just heal the leopard. He touched him. That man needed to be touched. I know ladies do this a lot. They'll, they'll say, I just need a hug. Well, you know, sometimes guys need that too. Sometimes that's all they want. is just a hug. I can better term. Just they're re reminded they're not alone. And so, I mean, anyway, I know uh, those are some things that minister to me. It's just someone who would just sit down and chat. No agenda. Just small talk, chat. And that's one of the things that lights my fire. Um, and so, anyway. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We will talk to you soon. And uh, God bless.